Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 84 of Clappercast Hockey Podcast. I'm Sean. I'll be your host this week going it solo, so there is absolutely no one to keep my hot takes in check. Before I get going, I'd just like to remind everyone to subscribe to our show and give the episode a rate and review. They're all very much appreciated. So we are fast approaching the two-thirds mark of the season here. The trade deadline's coming up in a couple weeks, and I'll touch on the start of that period later on. But first, I just wanted to talk about that incident with Tim Peel over the last week. Basically, uh, in the middle of a Nashville-Detroit game, he was caught on a live mic that was being tested by a, um audio technician saying, it wasn't much, but I wanted to get a fucking penalty against Nashville. This was following him calling an absolutely atrocious stripping penalty earlier in the period. He uh, basically wanted to even out the penalty calls since Nashville already had scored a goal and was up one nothing in power plays that game, so he wanted to give one over to Detroit to even it up, keep them in it, uh, whatever it was, but... After he got caught on this mic saying that he wanted to give Nashville a penalty early, um, the next morning the league put out a statement indicating that he was no longer going to be refing any NHL games now or in the future. The statement was pretty specifically worded to avoid saying that he's been fired or terminated or let go of his contract. It sounds more like uh, the equivalent of like paid administrative leave or something. But this situation is unique in that we've never really seen a ref, an official, be publicly punished for performance or things that they've done on the job. Of course, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes in terms of job performance, performance reviews, but this one is different. Tim Peel was set to retire at the end of the season. Um, His last game was supposed to be April 24th, would have been about a month after this game had happened, so it's not really like a lengthy suspension or anything that's going to significantly impact his future since he only had a month left anyways. But uh, again, we've never really seen this type of punishment go public with an official so it was an interesting decision and it's been interesting to kind of see the the fallout and the backlash from it one of the one of the funnier parts for me is that tim peel was a very unpopular ref amongst nhl fans for his um, we'll call them interesting calls and non-calls but the the sentiment towards him amongst the fan base especially on twitter changed immediately when the league put out their statement the league put out a tweet saying referee tim peel no longer will be working nhl games now or in the future And they attached an image with a quote from Colin Campbell saying, you know, nothing is more important than ensuring the integrity of our game. Tim Peel's conduct is in direct contradiction to the adherence to that cornerstone principle that we demand of our officials and that our fans, players, coaches, and all of those associated with our game expect and deserve. There is no justification for his comments, no matter the context or his intention, and the National Hockey League will take any and all steps necessary to protect the integrity of our game. And again, the interesting part to the replies in this tweet are how the sentiment towards Tim Peel as a ref and the the situation in general changed. And um, you've got talking about how these types of conversations happen constantly. So why is he getting punished for it? You know, there's people questioning why the refs have mics even to begin with. And some more talking about how the league's done him a disservice by taking away his ability to have that final month, that kind of retirement tour, that last game. Usually there's a big moment uh, in the pregame ceremony for the for the refs on their way out and there's there's arguments for this on both sides um one side is quite honestly summed up with Matt Duchesne's statement you got to call the game where he gave an interview the next morning in the uh in the wake of this punishment and he was quite critical of the call he was quite critical of the the state of the game if with these makeup calls and whatnot and he ended it with that you got to call the game insinuating that you can't just make up calls you can't just enforce the rule book one way towards one team and just kind of make up stuff to even it out for the other 
And the other side of this argument is focused on the prevalence of game management and what that means in the NHL right now and how the officials implement that in their day-to-day basis. And ultimately, it seems Tim Peel is being made a scapegoat. He is being punished for saying the quiet part out loud. Um, we're already seeing the after effects of this. I think it was Eric Furlat who was covering up his mic while discussing something with players in a game a couple of days later. So you know, the refs are aware of this. They want to make sure that they don't get caught having similar discussions with players. To me, it just brings to light the concept of game management that we know exists. We all, uh, we all kind of agree that it happens, and we just know to expect it when we're watching games. We know that refs are going to call penalties to keep power plays per team even. We know there's going to be calling penalties to keep teams in the game if it starts to get a little bit out of hand. We know there's power plays going out at key times for entertainment value, especially near like the end of the games. We'll also hear commentators talking about makeup calls. Uh, when one team's had a few power plays in a row, they'll begin talking about the other team getting a power play soon. We'll see the leading team often on a late penalty kill when holding a small lead. Though admittedly, that one is also impacted by the leading team being under pressure defensively in these scenarios, and they're more likely to take a penalty with that. Personally, I think this was absolutely the right decision. To me, it was an easy PR move by the league to make it look like they care about the integrity of their officiating standards. It really brings up the question, though, of what the role of game management is for officials. The concept of keeping things even, giving out penalties to even things up, isn't really letting the game happen and unfold naturally but it just ends up coming down to officials creating narratives and managing what happens. And this whole idea of keeping the calls even, giving out power plays one for one, tit for tat, it's kind of shown when Money Puck puts out a graph showing that there is a clear relationship between penalty minutes drawn and taken. Uh, To me, game management should be limited to things like managing the level of aggression and escalating violence within the game just to keep things from getting out of hand, like sending guys off on misconducts or coincidentals if they're starting to start shit, for example. In situations like Edmonton versus Calgary games, when the emotions start to rise and you have players leading up to the cheap shots on on their opponents, like that's the type of game management where officials should be stepping in. Game management shouldn't be the officials actually directing and controlling what happens and directing the outcomes of the game, ultimately with their decisions. But regardless, this incident has opened the debate over the role of officials within the game, and it's going to be interesting to see and watch if anything changes in the wake of this. Uh, the league's goals of entertainment value and parity probably benefit from the existing practices of game management, as you know, even the worst teams are going to get chances on the power play to let their star players shine and create some offense, and it's going to help keep those teams in games that they otherwise might not be if you know they're having a rough night, take too many actual penalties, and they don't get anything to balance it out. Of course, Buffalo is not included in this definition of parity this season for obvious reasons. Though the NHL does have to try and find a balance between their entertainment value and their foray into sports betting, as I can't imagine the betting and gambling industry is going to be too fond of officials directing game outcomes and impacting them with their styles of game management impacting outcomes more than just, say, honest mistakes. For fans, I mean, we see a team get a huge lead on power plays and we assume that the refs are trying to hand that team the win, that the refs are biased, then they start the ref you suck chance, and I mean, whatever hits in the spur of the moment. But in some cases, that's what an accurately called game looks like. We also have the widely talked about issues over the past few seasons where different players, specifically star players, seem to have a different rule book applied to them. Guys like Connor McDavid could probably draw a handful of penalties every single game just trying to blow past defenders at the blue line. Uh, we know Johnny Gaudreau and others have taken a ton of slashes on 
the hands and the wrists that should have been called, but they went uncalled. We know that's been a major thing for the re- for the refs, for the officials to crack down on, especially this season. One of the biggest criticisms of the state of officiating over the past five seasons is just that lack of consistency, the lack of clarity in the rulebook, and the lack of clarity on how these rules are applied on the ice. And referees partaking in this particular style of game management are doing nothing but reinforcing those criticisms and raising even more questions about the actual role of officials within the game. We as fans sit around complaining about goalie interference, about offside, about all these different calls that seem to be applied differently in different situations, and we can never figure out exactly what the criteria is for certain penalties, like why some slashes in the hand and wrist area go uncalled. Another major one in this inconsistency of rules being applied is cross-checking in front of the net in the slot on offensive players. We've seen a lot of this this season where defenders will be aggressively cross-checking attacking players in the slots to the point that there's no reason why it shouldn't be called. The player is getting cross-checked down to the ice, and star players like Austin Matthews is speaking out about this type of penalty not being called. This particular type of penalty going on called probably falls under a different category than the game management that we were talking about with Tim Peel, but it speaks to the inconsistency of the application of the rule book on the ice that just confuses fans, confuses players, and really just causes a lot of unnecessary grief trying to watch these games. Ultimately, in my view, the officials are there to enforce the rule book and keep the players in line, not to direct the narrative and outcome of the game. And it goes back again to Matt Duchesne's, you've got to call the game. They have to be calling what's actually happening on the ice, not doing what Tim Peel did and find an excuse to give a really bad penalty for absolutely no reason just because you wanted to call a penalty against them to keep it even. Either way, we're going to be frustrated with the refs no matter what happens because if it continues as it is now, then we're going to be seeing this the continuation of these weak calls for no reason, the makeup calls, the penalties at given times every game the even power plays but if you go the other way and call the game you're going to end up sometimes where your team gets four or five times on the penalty kill and not a single power play just because that's what actually happened on the ice there's no satisfying everybody but at the very least you can make it as fair as possible by actually calling the rule book by applying the rules fairly and equally across all players But that's enough ranting about the refs. I think we all do enough of that during the games themselves. So how about we jump over to some NHL trade talk. As the deadline is on April 12th, about two weeks from the day of recording this episode. And the biggest news around this trade deadline is that the Canadian government approved a seven-day quarantine for incoming players. So Canadian teams might have a little bit more incentive to buy at the deadline if they have a stretch with only a couple of games in it. This looks to be immediately the case, as the first domino to fall was Eric Stahl, who is on his way to Montreal at 50% retained for a third and a fifth round draft pick. So especially considering Montreal has an absolute abundance of picks in this draft, this is basically nothing for them to give up for Eric Stahl, who's a veteran cup-winning presence who is struggling in a quite honestly shit situation in Buffalo. So for now, he is the first rescue being adopted out of Buffalo and the first name to be scratched off of the trade bait boards. That can't be the end for Buffalo, though, so I'd look for them to sell even more. Um, Taylor Hall is admitted to being open for a trade. He's been in a lot of rumors and discussion over the last few weeks. And the initial ask for him includes a first-round pick, but with his performance this season, that is absolutely unlikely. I saw other stuff suggesting it'd be closer to like a prospect and a second-round pick, maybe a little bit more on top of that, but wouldn't look for Taylor Hall to be grabbing such a huge haul this season. Either way, there's a few teams that should probably try and make a push to add Taylor Hall as he might be worthwhile to add. Um, I throw St. Louis in there as 
their situation with Mike Hoffman isn't really working out. They might uh, be wanting to bring Taylor Hall in to provide what Mike Hoffman was supposed to to see if, you know, Taylor Hall will do what Mike Hoffman doesn't. The Islanders might also want to bolster their offense with how good they've been. They might want that final push to give them, you know, a little bit more of a boost going into the playoffs, especially with uh, Andres Lee being out for the rest of the year. And since these rumors have existed for a couple seasons, now it's worth addressing them because they're going to start back up again right away. But Taylor Hall going back to Edmonton. But I see that unlikely, and I'm hoping it doesn't happen just because I don't see the fit being very beneficial, and I don't want the Oilers to give up what the asking price is for Taylor Hall. With the struggles in Nashville this season, absolutely look for them to be sellers to maybe uh, start their rebuild up because it doesn't look like they have too much left in terms of playoff hopes. Um, guys like Matthias Ekholm and Mikhail Granlund are in play. I see Ekholm is basically the top target for trading uh, for this uh, trade deadline season. You see teams like Toronto are, of course, in on in on Ekholm already. And another one is Columbus, that they've kind of been struggling, and they've got a couple of guys, their captain Nick Foligno and David Savard, who are UFAs at the end of the season, and it might be beneficial for them to try and trade off those guys for some draft picks to help replenish that prospect pool that got a bit depleted a couple of seasons ago during their push for the playoffs. So earlier on, I mentioned St. Louis's Mike Hoffman signing hasn't been working out too well. But there's been a few things not working too well over there, and that team is surprisingly fallible to the point that they only have a one-point lead over Arizona for a playoff spot right now. Um, Hoffman is currently a healthy scratch, for example, but additionally, Tory Krug's offense has dipped from previous seasons, though that may just be him adjusting to a new role. He has a bit more defensive responsibility in a different system than he used to play in in Buffalo. Um, missing Vladimir Tarasenko has been rough, but he's back now. He's got two goals and five assists in 11 games. Though two goals in 11 games, if his shot isn't fully there, could be another reason why the Blues might want to take a bit of a flyer on Taylor Hall. By him, well, his value is about as low as it's going to be. But St. Louis's goalie situation hasn't been ideal either, especially when you compare it to their divisional opponents, because Colorado with Philip Grubauer, Vegas with the resurgence of Marc-Andre Fleury, and Minnesota with Capo Kakonin have all been excelling so far. St. Louis, not so much. Jordan Bennington, off the backs of signing his six-year, $6 million per year extension, has a 10-10-5 record, a 9.03 save percentage, 278 goals against average, and a negative 3.9 goals saved above average to go along with his uh, fiery outbursts, we'll call them, when he goes after opposing teams' players or threatens to swing a stick at them, which is a bit confusing. Um, rookie goalie Vili Husso has a better record. He's 6-3-1 but his 8.85 save percentage, 3.4 goals against average, and negative 6.5 goal saves above average leaves much to be desired. The Blues as a whole this season have given up 113 goals, so they have a negative 13 goal differential. And those three teams above them, Vegas has given up 74 goals, Colorado's given up 75 goals, and Minnesota's given up 78 goals. All three of those teams have positive goal differentials and not really close to even negative. So St. Louis is really struggling in some aspect of that defensive and goaltending part of the game, and they really need to figure this out if they want to have any chance of making a splash in the playoffs here. A couple of names the Blues might want to look at to shore up that backup goaltender spot are Jonathan Bernier and Chris Dreger. Uh, Bernier's in Detroit right now, so obviously his numbers are a little bit skewed by just being on Detroit, but he's been surprisingly solid in his time there so far. He's been hurt often on this season, so he hasn't played quite as much as he otherwise might have, but he's got an 8-6-0 record, a 9-18 save percentage, and a 278 goals against average, with 5.1 goals saved above average. This is playing on Detroit, a team that is not very good right now, so he's building up those numbers there. I imagine he would also be doing pretty well in St. Louis. 
the other one, Chris Dreger, kind of came out of nowhere over the last season and a half to briefly take over the starting job in Florida when Sergei Bobrovsky had his rough start to the season again. Uh, he's been relegated back to the backup role, and he is very likely expansion draft target for the Seattle Kraken uh, this summer. So I imagine Florida would like to trade him and get something in return. St. Louis would be a decent option for that. Going back to the beginning of the season, we projected that the Blues would probably be at the lower end of the top tier of the West Division, but we didn't expect the gap between the top and the middle tier to be so small, especially not projecting Minnesota to be as strong as they have as they're sitting in third in that division right now. So the Blues, if they want to make a splash, like I said, they're going to have to make a play to acquire a goaltender just to give Jordan Bennington the chance to have a day off when he needs it or just to give the team another option in net in the case that Bennington's struggling. But that'll be a situation to keep our eyes on over the next two weeks as uh, some of the some of the trade pieces start to fall and we start to see the final rosters being set for the rest of the season. That's what I've got here for this week, so thank you everyone for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram at ClapperCast Media or on Twitter at ClapperCast, and we'll be back next week with more Hockey Talk.